1859, Frenchman Jean-Francois Gravelette. I feel really, I sound really loud to me. I don't, am I sound loud to y'all? I'm, I'm probably louder than you expect, so you might want to turn me down. Uh, Jean-Francois Gravelette, known as, formerly known as Charles Blunden, was the first person to ever cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope uh, with nothing but a pole for balance. And I'd heard this story before, so I had to go look it up to make sure it wasn't just a made-up story, but this actually happened in 1859. He, he crossed the 1,600-foot chasm that's 1,100 feet long, just the pole first. And when he got over to the Canadian side, he, there was a crowd on both shores, and of course they were cheering him on, you know, blunden, 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 kind of like my grandbabies do when I pull out the oatmeal cream pies, Debbie cake, Debbie cake, you know, that's what they do. But anyway, the, the crowd is cheering for him. So when he gets over there and he kind of calms the crowd down after he's walked across, he said, how many of you would like to see me go back across pushing this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd erupts even more, blunden, blunden, blunden. So he goes across Niagara Falls pushing a wheelbarrow. And when he gets back to the American side, the crowd even erupts even more. And they're blunden, blunden, blunden. He said, how many of you now would like to see me go back across pushing this wheelbarrow with somebody in it? The crowd just erupt even more. Everybody's chanting by now, blunden, blunden. Then he says, okay, who wants to get in? <laughs> and according to the story I read, there were no takers. Nobody really got in there. And this is kind of what James tells us about faith without works. Is it really faith? Is it really faith? See, we, we all, we've heard all the old sayings about somebody talks a good game or, you know, kind of where I got my idea for the title of this lesson, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> you know, that's, we all say that a lot, but do we really have faith? And so James is going to show us as we read this, um, and we'll be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 24, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But James shows us that faith without works is dead. That is the theme of this whole book. Faith without works is dead. So, we're going to be looking at three kinds of faith today. Dead faith, deliberate faith, and desperate faith. So, I want us to look at that. So, if you, if you can and, you, uh, and you're able to, stand with us. And we'll read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 24. And I'll be reading it from the New King James Version. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? 
And the scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Thank you. You may be seated. I remember. James shows us that there are, he doesn't really tell us there's three kinds of faith. He really tells us there's one kind, but I've kind of outlined this with three kinds of faith. And so we're going to look at dead faith. First, we've got to look at what faith is not. In the first few verses, verses say 14 through 19, he talks about dead faith. Faith without works is dead. So dead faith is really not faith at all. So first off on your outline there, if you have that, faith is more, dead faith, faith is more than just belief. Faith is more than just belief. All of us here probably would say that we believe in God. Or else I don't think you'd even be here. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't believe in God. If I was a true atheist, I'd be sitting at the lake somewhere. I'd be playing in the water or something like that. I would not be here today. I love all of you and you're all friends of mine and I like you and all that. But I probably wouldn't be hanging out here with you. I'd be somewhere else. See, we all have a belief in God. So faith is a little more than just belief. You know, if, if, if this had happened to me, if I'd been standing on those shores that day and blunder and walked across that, I'd have believed he could have done it. I would have believed he could because after watching him go across the first time and then coming back with a wheelbarrow, I'm like, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> I would have believed he could have done it, but I probably wouldn't have got in that wheelbarrow either. See, I would have justified myself in saying, well, I'd mess us both up. I'd shake so bad we'd all fall. I would have rationalized why we couldn't do it. See, faith is more than just belief. Second thing, it's more than just lip service. Warren Wiersbe says this. He said, being a Christian is not what we say with the lips, but what we do with a lie. This is where we get those phrases like, you talk a good game. Proof is in the pudding. You think of any more? Put your money where your mouth is, or I'll believe it when I see it. You know, you hear people say stuff all the time. You say, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. It breeds skepticism. So it's not just belief. It's not just lip service. The third thing faith is not, or dead faith is, it's not just fire insurance. Paul said in Titus 1, verse 16, they profess me, they profess to know God, but in works deny him. Now think about that. He said they profess to know God, but in works deny him. According to David Guzik, the author of the Enduring Word Commentary, James was writing to Jewish Christians who had a background in works. They knew all about works. And so it would have been very liberating to them for someone to come up with a message like in Ephesians 2, where it says you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But these Christians had gone to the other extreme, thinking that works didn't matter at all, a lot of them. So James is telling them, look, works is evidence of your faith. James tells us in verse 17 that faith is the head and that works is the body. You separate two. Cut your head off and see how far you go. You can't, you, they can't survive apart from each other. 
So that's what James said. Faith is the head and works is the body. Separate the two. They can't survive. They can't live. Dead faith is no faith at all. And that's what he talks about with dead faith. Second thing I want you to see is faith is not, dead faith is not faith at all, but faith is deliberate. We're going to look at deliberate faith. So I want to look at two things here with deliberate faith. First, we're going to talk about de deliberate faith, how it's explained by James, and then some living faith examples. Living faith explained first, and then living faith examples. You know, when I was teaching school, I taught English. I know y'all probably can't remember, y'all can't believe that in the way I taught, but I taught English, and I tried to work at it, you know, where I could at least teach people to do, do as I say, not as I do. But we had to teach the four modes of writing, descriptive, expository, um, narrative, and, and persuasive. And as I was teaching persuasive, I always remember this, that young people, they could, they could gripe and rant with the best of them, but they couldn't nearly give good examples why, or they couldn't have a call to action, so to speak, in their, in their essays or speeches or whatever. And so I tried to teach that there's always a call to action when you're trying to persuade someone. James says that faith has a call to action. If not, it's just a rant. This made me think of a kind of a funny story. I'll do this at Robin's expense. It's her birthday today, by the way, so y'all tell her happy birthday when you see her. But I'm going to pick on her for a little bit. When we first got married, before we had kids, we were at a White Plains football game. And we, we had parked on the road up above the upper gate, you know, right there by the cemetery at White Plains Baptist Church. And so if you've ever been up there, you know what I'm talking about. And there were cars parked on both sides of the road. And so there was just barely enough room for one lane of traffic to go through. When we got out of the game and we were walking to our car and we were one of the first ones to get there. And we were trying to get in our car. And here comes this car up that one lane road. Well, he didn't wait or she, whoever's driving, didn't wait on us to get in our car. They just come on out of there. I guess they were trying to beat the crowd or something. They wasn't flying or anything, but they were just coming out of there. And so Robin and I was like... Had to get up under the car, you know, put her feet up under the car and do like this to keep from getting hit by the car. Well, it made her a lot madder than it did me. It kind of aggravated me, but she just started into a rant about that. She was just like, I can't believe he did that. That guy almost run over us, blah, blah, blah. She's, she was fussing, so we were getting in the car. And she just kept fussing about. And so when we pulled out, we were the next one in line going down that lane of traffic. <laughs> and uh, she said, get up there behind them. Get up behind them. And, just, and I'm like, finally I looked down and I'm like, and what are we going to do? And she said, sit down on the horns. <laughs> and so from, from then on in our family, that has been a, a standing thing. If someone's ranting about something you can't do anything about, we'll say, what do you want me to do? Sit down on the horn, <laughs> you know. But that's kind of the way any faith is or anything without any action. If there's no action, it's just a rant. It's just something that you, you do. Faith has to have action. Living faith has to have action. And then after... James gives us this, he tells us this, faith has to have action. He gives us an example of, he says, if there's a brother or sister that's naked and destitute of daily food, and you say to them, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them anything, he said, what good is it? See, we got too many, God bless you Christians, and not enough, let me help you Christians. We got a lot of those that say, God bless you. I hope something happens. I hope God takes care of you. But not enough people that says, let me help you. Let me help you. So James says living faith. He explains it that way. Second thing, living faith examples. James gives us two of them. 
He gives us first Abraham and then secondly Rahab. Now, notice what he says about, about uh, Abraham. Look at verse 20 to start with. If this were the TSV I was reading from, the Tony Snyder version, I would have said it this way, okay? Because God says in verse, uh, or James says in verse 20, but do you want to know, old foolish man, that faith without works is dead? See, if it was the TSV, I would have said, do you really want to know what true faith is? Do you really want to know? Well, here's an example. Y'all know the story of Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham, James tells us here that Abraham was justified by works. Now, two different times in the in Scripture, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's in James, I mean in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him or accounted to him for righteousness. But here James says Abraham was justified by works. So what does that mean to me and you? Belief and works must equal each other. Belief and works have to equal. It also, it also tells us that belief is obedience. So faith and works, I said that backwards, faith and works equal each other, but belief equals obedience. See, it's not true belief if it won't change you. It's not true belief if it doesn't motivate you to do something. It's not faith at all. And so faith is deliberate faith. Faith is something you do. You've heard someone say, show me you love me, don't just tell me. I can't tell you how many times my wife has told me that. Show me you love me, don't tell me. The Bible says that his faith was made perfect or complete when he was about to kill his only son. Now, can you even imagine that? God asking you to do something like that? And he did it. He would have done it. Abraham carried his son. His son was old enough to know what was going on because he said, Father, here's the, here's the fire. I don't know if they cared a torch or what. He said, here's the fire and here's the wood. That's a picture of Jesus. The wood was laid on his son. His son was carrying his own cross, so to speak. He was carrying his own the wood that he was going to be burned on. He said, Father, he said, Dad, here's you got the fire, I got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? So they got to the top. He knew what was going on. He was old enough to understand it. He'd seen this happen before. Can you imagine when the Abraham had to get his son and hold him and tie him up? Can you imagine the screaming and the wailing and the crying from Abraham? See, if I'd have been Abraham, I'd have said, Lord, you've already promised me that you're going to bless, you're going to multiply my seed as the sand of the sea through him. We can't do this. See, I would have tried to do everything to justify it. If I'd have been Abraham, I'd have brought that up to God. If I'd have been standing there the day blunt and said, who wants to get in a wheelbarrow? I would have said, yeah, I, I'm sure he can do it. I got a lot of faith in him, but I'd kill us both. I'd start shaking. I'd start screaming. I'd panic and I'd kill us both. See, what we do when we say that kind of stuff to God is we do what Moses did in Exodus chapter 4 when, he, when God spoke to him out of the bush. And God says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. What did Moses do? He started making excuses. See, what we do when we do what I said I would do, if I'd have been Abraham, we start saying, God, I believe in you. I got faith in you, 
but I don't have enough faith in you to overcome me. How many of you do that? When God says, I want you to do something, get out of your comfort zone, you say, God, I can't, I can't, I can't, because you don't believe in God enough to say that he can overcome you. I do it all the time. I know you do too. We say, God, you're not big enough to overcome me. Now, what happened to Moses when he said that? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Moses said, I can't speak well, I'm, I'm not eloquent, blah, blah, blah. Here's what God said in, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. He said, and I, if I'd have said it, it had been a lot more vehement probably than this, but God said, who has made man's mouth? Or the mute? Or the deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? See, I would have probably, TSB would say it like this. <laughs> who do you think you're talking to? I made it all. I made the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. I made it all. See, we can't throw those kind of excuses to God because God can overcome anything that you and I can do. Our faith is, our faith is here. God can bring that faith up. See, it was not until Abraham tied his son up and pulled the knife back to kill him that God stopped him. The angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham then and says, don't do it. How many of us could have gone that way? The Bible says that, uh, that Abraham, in uh, Hebrews that God was even willing or that God was, uh, Abraham had already given up to the fact that God was going to raise his son from the dead if he killed him. God was going to raise him from the dead if he killed him. The Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. And the only other person in Scripture that even gives close to that title to is Moses himself. And God said that Moses, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. See, there's great reward in having faith, in in obedience to exemplify your faith, deliberate faith. Then the second person that that, uh, uh, James gives us here, but past Abraham, was Rahab. Now, Rahab risked her life. Instead of tattling on the spies that were sent to, to Jericho that day, she hid them and then helped them escape. See, she had heard about what had happened, what the God of Israel had done in Egypt and all those things. And so Rahab, she had some belief, and she exercised her belief. You know, she and her family were the only people that get bitten, the only Jerichoites, if you want to call them that, that didn't get destroyed that day. They're the only ones making it out alive. A little faith, a little deliberate faith in God. Deliberate faith is rewarded. And when James asks us this question in verse 14, he says, can faith save him? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? He's asking. It's not a contradiction to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 or Romans chapter 4. The answer to that is yes. True faith, deliberate faith can. But not dead faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says what? You can quote it with me. For you are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we all stop reading right there. We all stop. Because we want to illustrate that, that faith in Christ, we can't work our way to heaven. 
We can't. We can't be good enough. But verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. See, we need to keep on. Keep on reading. We don't work our way to heaven, but work shows us that we're headed there. Work shows the world that we're headed there. So faith is not dead faith. Faith is deliberate faith. I want to talk to you about one more. Desperate faith. A few weeks ago, we, some of you don't do those, but we do the uh, gospel project in our classroom. And we, we did the, you may remember this lesson. Two or three weeks ago, we had a lesson on uh, Matthew chapter 9. And the writer of the lesson outlined the lesson by humble faith, bold faith, and desperate faith. And as I was studying this lesson, let me just, I don't have time to read it, but I'll go over these things with you, okay, for you right quick. But the first part of the thing, of the story in Matthew chapter 9, Jairus, it doesn't call his name in this one, you have to read it in John or Mark to find out his name, but Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He runs up and he falls down at Jesus' feet. And he says, teacher, my daughter is dying. She's at the point of death. Matter of fact, and so they got up to go, Jesus got up to go heal her, and he said, you know, don't worry, she'll be okay. She's, when the, one, of the other, uh, version, one of the other gospels says that a, a guy came running in there and said, don't trouble the teacher anymore, she's already dead. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. So they were on their way to heal Jairus' daughter. Now Jairus, mind you, was a ruler in the synagogue. Most of the people in the synagogue thought Jesus was a heretic. So for him to run up there and drop down on his knees in front of Jesus, he was bearing his soul to him. He was giving up. He was risking his, his public career by doing that. So as they're on their way, and there's a crowd around Jesus, and there's people touching him everywhere, a lady with an issue of blood. Y'all know that story. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She was trying her best to get to touch Jesus. And all she got to touch was the hem of his garment. I don't know if it was on his arm or down on around his sandals or where, but she touched the hem of his garment. And he stopped the crowd and said, who touched me? They said, Master, everybody's touching you. There's people all around you. And so the crowd backs up, and there she is exposed. And she's scared to death. And he says, your faith has made you whole. So he heals her. Then he goes on, and as he heals and, and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, and starts back moving again, and these blind guys, two blind men, can hear him. They can hear the commotion. They can hear, they know it's Jesus, and they start shouting out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. They couldn't see him. They could just hear him. And so the writer of our lesson outlined it like this. said that Jairus' faith was humble faith. The lady with the issue of blood who touched his garment was bold faith. And that the two blind men were desperate faith. And so I got to looking at that and I thought, really, these are all different situations. But really, they're all desperate faith. See, Jarius was desperate. He risked his job and everything he had because his daughter was at the point of death. And this lady, the Bible says that she had already... She tried everything. She tried every doctor. She spent all her money. She done everything she could. And nobody could help heal her. So she, she was probably an outcast by society. She was probably deemed as unclean because she's bleeding for 12 years. 
probably weak. She did whatever she could do. Just reach out and touch him. These two blind guys, they, it called her bold face, but she was desperate too. These two blind guys, all they knew was they could hear Jesus. They couldn't see him. They screamed to the top of their lungs, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. See, Jesus healed all of them. He healed all of them. When James gave us the two examples of deliberate, not dead faith, he gave us Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And then he gave us Rahab, a Gentile harlot. Now, what does that say to us? That shows us that every one of us need to change our dead, desperate faith into a deliberate, alive faith. Everybody. The patriarch of faith all the way to a Gentile woman in a culture where they didn't even pay attention to women, okay? A harlot in a culture where they didn't pay attention to anybody like that. Everybody must come to Christ with their desperate faith. You say, well, Tony, what are you saying? I'm saying that Death, desperate faith is really worth the risk. You say, well, if I came to Christ today, I've, I've come to church all my life. If I came down this morning, people would think I'm a fraud if I came down and gave my, my life to Christ today. I talked to two people this past week and listened to their testimony. Both of them told me they thought they got saved when they was a little kid. <laughs> but they came to know Christ later. Hallelujah. So, see, we all at some point have some desperate faith. Have some desperate faith. If we say we never really trusted Christ, people might make fun of us. But Jairus would tell you it's worth the risk. <laughs> he would. You might be like the you might be like the lady who tried everything for joy, peace, comfort, and all those things. You might be like her. You tried everything. I'm just telling you today, just reach out to Jesus. Just see if you can touch the hem of his garment, so to speak. You might be like the blind guys. This might be the first time that you ever heard the name of Jesus and something just started welling up inside of you. See, they couldn't see him. They could just hear him. But they knew there was something special. God was going to do something special if they could get Jesus' attention. Cry out to Jesus. As Jack comes and gets us a song ready for an invitation, God is saying for, for you to do these same things. We are all desperate in our faith. Cry out to Jesus. Acknowledge your desperation and belief. He's waiting to heal you. Get in the wheelbarrow. It's worth the risk. Our elders will be down front. If you have, if you want to, we're not here to, to, to impede you or to embarrass you. We're just here if you want to come and pray. And so as we, as we sing, do what God asks you to do. Come. If you don't know Christ, be like the woman. Be like the blind men. Be like Jairus. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. He will change your life. 
Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.